Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Are You a Robot? I'm Demetrios Brinkman, your host, and today we are joined by none other than Miri. Yeah, my name is Miri Hade. Um, great to be here. And I'm a CEO and founder of a company called Sidot. We founded Sidot three years ago, and, and really our focus uh, is on helping companies and uh, public organizations putting in place systematic AI governance, uh, transparency and communication. We do that um, by developing and providing technology platform uh, that helps organizations doing doing this. And then obviously uh, supporting uh, organizations uh, via consulting as well. Before we jump into the full episode, I want to quickly update you on what we are doing here at Are You a Robot? This is a series where we aim to tackle some of the greatest challenges around AI and related technologies. And the way that we're doing that is by gathering some of the best and brightest minds in their respective fields so they can come on here and talk with myself about what it is exactly that they're doing, how they see the current state of affairs, and if there are any best practices that we can take with us as we move forward in this world where AI becomes more and more ubiquitous. I want to mention that we have a community built so that if you like anything that you are hearing, you can join us on Slack where we keep the conversations going. I encourage you to jump in there, introduce yourself, let us know what you're working on, and join the conversation. Last but not least, I cannot give enough thanks to our sponsor. This show is powered by Ethics Grade. If you do not know what Ethics Grade is up to, they're an ESG ratings company. And just a side note, in case you don't know what ESG is, that is where a company is studying the non-financial effects that other companies have in society. So, Ethics Grade, what they're doing is they are going around and they are benchmarking or they are giving scorecards to all of the different companies that we know, love, or distrust, (laughs) do not love. Wherever they fall on that spectrum, Ethics Grade has given them a scorecard on their different aspects of how they rate within data protection or their data governance structures in their companies within the AI ethics programs that these companies have. There's six different categories that Ethics Grade has rated each company on. And I highly encourage you to go check out some of the scorecards that Ethics Grade has kindly put together for us. And it's totally free. You can go download the scorecard now. You can go and compare some of your favorite or least favorite companies. See how Amazon stacks up against Alibaba or Microsoft against Apple. And really look at what these companies are doing and if they are walking the talk. I think that is the most fascinating thing for me. I get to go and peep inside if what these companies are saying they're doing, they are actually doing. So again, that's Ethics Grade. You can check it out, ethicsgrade.io or find the link below in the description. Without further ado, let's jump in to the conversation with Miri. Are you a robot? All 
All right, Mary, it is a pleasure to have you on here. I thank you for joining us to talk about responsible AI and trustworthy AI. I really want to dive in deep to some of these themes. And right from the get-go, I want to ask you about responsible AI and what exactly that looks like when it's done well. Oh, that's such a large question. I'm, I, I've just discussed today with my clients on a responsible AI theme and, and uh, everyone says that it's huge. It's so difficult to uh, get grasp of it, a grasp of, uh, of that whole entity. So I don't know uh, how well uh, I'm able to define it for you. I'm looking, uh, looking into it um, most importantly from the governance perspective. So sort of trying to put together ways, figure out ways uh, that companies uh, can use in order to help them do better decisions or make sure that they are doing, have everything that is needed to do good decisions regarding, uh, for example, ethical questions related to how you use AI management of risks and, and so forth. Um, but um, yeah, those are means for, for supporting uh, creating that kind of uh, environment where uh, where we are creating um, responsible uh, or trustworthy AI AI systems that are uh, considered as ethical and, and legal and reliable. So uh, yeah, maybe maybe that's a uh, perspective uh, to it. Then we could discuss obviously, uh, um, for example. EU Commission has done a good, uh, or their expert group has done a good, good work in defining what is trustworthy, which is very close to this responsible AI definition. And we could say that uh, it must be lawful, it must be ethical, and technically reliable, and what kind of requirements we have to set for the organizations and people developing these uh, these services in order to meet that uh, that target. Yeah, there are so many perspectives to that. To that, that uh, yeah. And for you, so you're mainly looking at the trustworthy side. I know the work that you're doing is within trying to make sure that companies and governments, for that matter are really taking this trustworthy approach. Can you explain what exactly that means? Yeah, so, so first of all, I guess it's, uh, for many organizations, it's recognition that, uh, that our AI, uh, our technology and AI that we develop, it actually has influence to how, uh, um, how, yeah, it, it has influence to the people that are using or the processes that where we take into use this kind of services. So, so um, many companies start uh, this work by looking into values uh, of the organization, the value system where the organization is operating and the industry services that we're creating and, and what is important for us uh, from value perspective over there and then then um, sort of crystallizing for themselves what is what is important from the value perspective what kind of services products uh, we want to want to develop and that is sort of a guiding uh, guiding those are the guiding principles that help us 
sort of narrow down what kind of technology we want to develop and what are the sort of things that we don't want to uh, be involved in. Then uh, sort of building on that, then there are many uh, more practical aspects uh, related to this one. When talking about AI governance, we uh, we typically make sure that, um, for example, uh, we consider different kinds of risks that are related to that system, uh, development, use uh, of that system, and then uh, make sure that we understand on its um, uh, sort of like comprehensively the different kinds of impacts, not only the the primary targeted impacts of that system, but also also uh, side effects and and different kinds of uh, influences that the system and the use of it has in in its environment. And that is really a super important part of the process and a lot uh, about this AI governance uh, related work is actually um, surrounded around uh, understanding what are the risks related to the system that we're developing and and what are the good mitigation methods then, then in addressing those risks. Yes, exactly. I was actually going to ask you to zoom in on that a little bit more and ways that we can properly address those risks, ways that we can see. And I asked someone what their biggest blind spot right now is in their life. And they said, well, the hard part about blind spots is we don't realize they're blind spots, right? So Mm -hmm. this really applies, I think, when we are trying to mitigate the risks of AI and we think that we've thought everything through. But really, there are blind spots that we haven't looked at, and we just are clearly missing them. So how can we do that better? Yeah, yeah, I, I fully agree with you. That's, that's one of the biggest things in the, in the uh, and reasons also for, for such a need for this uh, discipline in, in, in this area that We've recognized that there are so many blind spots, blind spots uh, when we develop these kind of systems that that we need this uh, the, um, the whole discipline to, to support us uh, bringing those into light and, and looking into into those. Uh, I think on average uh, we have relatively low maturity in systematic risk management in in the development of these kind of uh, systems. Uh, obviously, it totally depends on the industry and sort of how, for example, regulated the industry is and how uh, established ways of workings there are already for risk management. So that really varies. But, uh, but for many organizations, even the idea that we actually uh, go through risk analysis in the process of develop, uh, developing uh, new technologies, new AI systems, uh, is relatively new uh, concept. And, and, and already by that, uh, basically having that exercise of uh, people who are developing the system actually coming, sitting down together and thinking about, uh, about the different uh, aspects of the system, what, what kind of data we are using, are there some risks related to that one, how, how we are what kind of models we are building, how is, who are the users and what are the use contexts and, and what, what are the different kinds of risks related to, uh, to the use of this system. Documenting those 
risks and then understanding uh, what is the scale scale of the risk and, and potential impacts, uh, potential harm, and then identifying, narrowing down what are really the core important risks that we, we should focus and, and uh, should start mitigating in different ways. So uh, I think that's, that's already a huge thing. And if we look at the, for example, suggested regulation by EU uh, on AI, it also uh, has uh, expectations for this kind of uh, uh, risk management system that you systematically identify what are the risks related to and then uh, have a systematic mitigation uh, for addressing those risks. So it's not rocket science, but it's very efficient in, 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 in basically, basically uh, opening your thinking around, uh, around the influence. Then there are obviously, like, you know, uh, as you said, uh, and especially if we are developing these systems in, in homogeneous teams where we have, we have relatively uh, similar worldview and, and perspective into that, then there are obviously important ways like, for example, that you in that risk management or risk analysis process, you also engage with, this, with the people that you are planning to give this system uh, to be used or or like you know other other types of stakeholders and ask what are their thoughts how what kind of risk they see uh, related to that one that is one good way that I always try to encourage my customers to to actually see it as an opportunity to to open your plans up and, and discuss uh, consult people from outside the team about those risks as well as well so one thing that you just mentioned, and I always find very fascinating when it comes to AI, because it is such a diverse field, there are so many technical people that are working on the different products that are coming out, different data products. Then you have all of the different business stakeholders. And you have, when we're talking about ethics, you have the legal stakeholders. And so you mentioned stakeholder engagement. Who are these stakeholders in your mind that need to be involved in this process? Yeah, very, very good question. Um, naturally, there is the technical development team. They uh, and, and and I really, I'm also really enthusiastic about helping the technical teams to sort of up upskill. Uh, upskill themselves in in looking into uh into these areas and sort of uh, i think that's very important um privacy team uh legal team uh obviously uh key stakeholders uh often i am discussing with our customers about how can we uh extend or use the existing data protection impact assessment processes and policies for covering uh, the new kinds of um, AI-related risks, for example. So, so I fully support that. I think it it totally makes sense if you have established uh, processes around privacy, data protection, uh, cybersecurity to uh, to use the same processes for that one. Often, uh, I, I I've been saying that my one of one of the most important um, uh, tasks when I when I help customers is to uh, make um, 
friends, uh, between, or like, you know, uh, help, help, uh, the data science teams become friends with their own organizations, privacy teams. So, and, and risk management teams. So, so I think there's, uh, there's a lot to do in, 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 in that kind of working relation uh, in, in many organizations between the, with the data science and the privacy teams. But then, obviously, it depends on the, on the use case, what we are developing. The, uh, often the business owners are in the, in the business unit, uh, um, like, you know, who, who is sort of internal customer for, for this system. Uh, I think there is uh, clearly need for, uh, for those internal uh, stakeholders, business stakeholders, to have more transparency into uh, the AI systems that are supporting their businesses. So that's also like there are uh, more and more expectations for uh, more explain explainability, transparency internally uh, to support that accountability that they, that often business stakeholders have for those systems. So uh, so already from from within the organization, we have uh, so many different stakeholders that uh, uh, that uh, uh, should come together and have means for working together around these ones. Then uh, I'm also really supportive for that kind of idea that we go uh, go uh, outside the organization, uh, find different ways uh, for engaging. Uh, with the external stakeholders as well. So whoever uh, are the, if you're developing an education-related uh, system, who are the students that, uh, or teachers who might be using the system, uh, I encourage to discuss with them also yeah, about these, uh, these questions and their potential concerns. So, or if you are developing uh, people analytics systems, uh, go to the employees who would be uh, analyzed based on your AI uh, maybe engage with labor unions for getting their uh, say on that topic and so forth. So we always need to really think it in the context of the of the use case and and hopefully look also uh, outside outside the uh, the organization and the immediate uh, people who already naturally are part of the process. Can you talk to us about the friendship building that you do between? the teams the, such as the data scientists and the privacy, because I know some data scientists that I talk to or machine learning engineers for that matter, privacy or legal is just there to rain on their parade. And yeah. it is very hard to get them to understand the point of view of privacy. They, I think they know that in a way, yes, we need this because it is important for the company. We don't want to have a scandal or we don't want to have problems mm -hmm. in the long run. But what are the steps you take to make sure that these two teams are a cohesive unit as opposed to two siloed teams that are working against mm -hmm. each other? Yeah, yeah. I don't know if there are any secret sauce. I think it's mostly about, uh, well, typically, if, and now I'm based, like, you know, really speaking of my experience and not having any theory behind this one, but, but based on my experience, how, how I've been um, working with customers on this one, it's uh, obviously, first thing is to understand the current uh, policies and processes that the privacy team, for example, has in place. So, so often there are good ways of workings uh many times they are not uh fully deployed or like you know uh known uh by everyone who should should know them so so first is really to understand that what kind of uh 
services and ways of workings uh, methodologies that already exist uh, so that so that we we can make full use of those and and then then build on on that one so uh, so that's first thing acknowledging the 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 work that has been done already by the lawyers and and then then um, then I, I think really important and what uh, what is really now gaining traction via this AI the rise of AI ethics and responsible AI not only privacy uh, is that when people start to notice that um, there are risks related to these systems and we really have the responsibility over managing seeing those risks and managing those risks and so forth so there starts to be this you know, uh, accountability that, okay, we need to take this seriously and we need to, in a way or another, uh, come up with good ways of, uh, of, of doing what is needed uh, in this case. So, so when you are in that position, then you're actually in a mode of like looking for good solutions for, for that one. And then also, um, your own privacy team and the work that they have been doing in this area start to, uh, start to look, uh, uh, something that actually um, can provide solutions to you, uh, can provide support for the need that you recognize that you have. So, so, so this whole development of like you know uh, that we are expanding our thinking from data protection to to wider risk and and fundamental rights related risk and so uh, so forth in the area of responsible AI. Um, that makes the the challenge and the the issue um, bigger, and then need also in the data science team side uh, uh, the need bigger for for good tangible solutions for for that one. So so and then I think it's most importantly uh, sitting down down together, uh, seeing 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 that we have a, a common target. We we all want to do good risk management, good governance for what we are developing. Uh, we want to do that in an efficient way uh, and and so forth. So, so um, yeah, I think it typically comes naturally when you when you start to build it from from that perspective that uh, we actually want to solve a true problem, hmm. and we are not doing things for governance. We are actually doing something that we we find. Um, is important uh, enough to uh, to put this effort and and find solutions. Yeah, and I think we can come back to this point too later on when we talk about the tool you're creating, because there are interesting parallels here with how your you just need to define the common goal and then get both teams on the same page and and help them communicate and recognize that they're not working against each other or one is not mm -hmm. trying to put the brakes on the other. Before we do that, you also mentioned before how you are a big proponent of upskilling engineers into the world of ethics and responsible AI. And I think what I wanted to know in your experience, how have you seen engineers take to that? Because I was just talking to a friend, Dave, who runs an engineering conference around uh, MLOps. And he said he is always fighting to put in 
ethical AI talks in the conference because he feels that it is needed and it is very important. And he says they are the lowest attended talks in the conference. And so Mm. I'm wondering, how do you see that? Like, how have you seen success with engineers upskilling and recognizing the greater value in learning about some of these different issues that aren't just coding issues? Mm. Yeah, that that that's very interesting, and I I started to think that uh, I have a privilege to work with those organizations who are doing something concrete in this area. So probably I'm a little bit biased from that perspective. That that companies where where um, people don't see any value uh, of this kind of work, then they probably don't uh, collaborate much with organization like mine or. Or, or others in this area. So, so this is a little bit uh, biased from that perspective. But w- what is my experience that um, in general, uh, I think data scientists on average see that uh, they, they know the, the system that they are developing. They also know the limitations uh, of those systems. So, so uh, in general, I think there is a very good ground uh, common understanding that um, the systems that we develop uh, are not perfect, uh, there are limitations, and it is important to, to know those limitations and, uh, and work around this, uh, these topics. Uh, but what, what I've found is, is uh, it's also super important to have those sort of um, the ones who are pioneers or like, you know, who really find this as uh, as really important topic and they want to want to be the the drivers within the data science team uh, to to take a key role in uh, in sort of taking the community um, into these topics and mm-hmm. and uh, keeping the flag up uh, for these topics. So these kind of individuals uh, and typically you can actually find those when when you when you bring these topics on table that okay these are the things that we 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 want to start working on uh, I would I would uh, uh, say that it's uh, it's typically very uh, relatively easy to find volunteers who want to be sort of drivers within the organization and want to be planning how how do we address this and so forth. And, and and these are very important individuals. Like in any other change management work, there needs to be sort of the the first group of people who who uh, sees the lights and sort of uh, uh, like has a key role in mm-hmm. in mediating between the new theme and the like you know how the organization has got used to work and then then uh, figuring out the way. So 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 I really think we need to need to. Um, make sure that the data science community uh, has, like, you know, they take this as as their own problem and like sort of try to find ways how um, how it's not that way that like you know people from outside uh, come and criticize the work that you are doing, but sort of like you know uh, encourage it uh, to be. Um, Good solutions and interest for this area be be born inside the community as well. So let's change gears for a moment and talk about what you're working on and the tool that you're creating. 
And I heard another interview with you where you spoke about how you're really trying to systematize responsible AI. Can you go in to what exactly that means and how you're going about that? Hmm. Yeah. Uh, really, what what we are trying to do, one, one of my visions or sort of uh, dreams is that that we could use technology and this kind of systematic methodolo- methodology so that uh, we can provide uh, top-notch or like, you know, very good responsible AI capability for any size of company or any organization anywhere in the world. We know that not all organizations have those resources to hire AI ethics experts or um, uh, AI ethics focused uh, lawyers or or so forth researchers in this area. So, how do we uh, support all those organizations who don't have that uh, that expertise within their organization? And and that's uh, that's an interesting uh, challenge that that we are trying to uh, trying to uh, think of. And 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 there, this systematic methodology. Uh, so what are the, the things that are part of this good governance? It means, uh, for example, that always you should know who is accountable for the system. You, you need to have a, a process where you uh, agree accountabilities. Who owns these systems? Who is the technical own, owner? Uh, like, you know, and, and so forth. And, and associate uh, responsibilities related to that role. Uh, it's about documentation as well, so that we have a systematic way of always documenting the data that we are uh, uh, feeding into the system. How do we document uh, the, the methodology, uh, the model that we are building on that date, using that data, and so forth? What are the systematic testing uh, methodologies that we use in these kind of systems, and how do we document that one? So, sort of. Uh, it's sort of um, um, slicing this whole uh, process of uh, an, an area of AI governance into these uh, pieces and then uh, having that platform which basically uh, guides you through, uh, notifies you that, okay, these are the areas that you need to do in that governance process. And then uh, uh, it's a place for doing that de- technical documentation where you have can have that record of uh, of everything that has been done in that governance and, and documentation process. So, um, yeah, sort of methodology combined with, uh, with uh, technical documentation as an evidence of the work that has been done around, uh, around the governance. So how are you deciding what is important to document, or is it the teams that are deciding themselves and they're documenting it, or are you nudging them in certain ways? Yeah, yeah. This is really, really something where we absolutely want to bring value for customers. The the idea that everyone should should somehow build that knowledge, what is important in AI governance, is uh, is a big uh, big expectations for. For any organization so so we've been working on that for three years so almost three years now basically building on research in this area so so um so what 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 is research saying like you know what what do we uh need to take care of when when um doing good governance or uh risk um 
assessment analysis and so forth then then we have a lot of important policy papers and and like you know what is coming from the policy and and regulation side so for example the new eu uh, proposal is setting uh, a lot of expectations in this this area i believe that is already influencing as a sort of standard uh, what good looks like from that perspective and so forth so so there's a lot of background work and obviously while working with uh, different customers on this area, we always learn something new that, okay, uh, this is something that we haven't really thought about. So, so and, and this seems to be something that actually applies uh, not only this specific situation, but it's more generic. So, okay, let's think about um, um, how should we document the computing resources used in this project or something else. And then then so we are basically updating the metadata model which guides what what is important what is all the documentation that we need to have in place all the time so while we are learning with our customers and that's really that's really uh something that i believe uh is the benefit of, of working in this kind of community to, together that uh through through platform we are able to uh provide the learnings uh from the community to all all customers, so so that's really where it materializes in the in the metadata model that has been developed, uh, building on these different sources, and then what it what continues to to evolve. Also, uh, obviously, we we want to keep it in line uh, with the 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 major regulations that are uh, coming into space, and and make sure that while aligning with our approach and metadata model that is uh, guiding. Uh, these things on the platform, uh, our customers also are meeting the expectations uh, 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 from uh, of, of uh, coming regulations. So right now, in my mind, like the AI world and the machine learning space is very much like the wild, wild west. And there's not much of this consolidation or deciding on one way of doing things. There's a million different ways of doing things. And what it seems to me like you're helping is creating that standardization and mm. really making sure that there's the standardizing around different practices and best practices, if you will. And like you yeah. mentioned, there's laws and there's regulation that are coming into play that are helping guide that standardization. And my question is, when you're looking at something that is not included in those laws, how are you deciding what to standardize upon and what needs to be inside of that? And then also, since there are so many different ways of saying the same thing, and mm. maybe it's just a little bit of a tweak of a word or it's a tweak of the actual process, how are you capturing all of that inside of it too? Mm, yeah. Uh, one important is that we uh, we really work with experts on on that one. So uh, as I mentioned, our customers are obviously like hands-on experts on like you know they are taking it into use and they are uh, like source of continuous learning for for us. So, so we really respect those uh, those learnings that that our customers do while uh, while using our systems and and while while trying to use that for good governance and having their own interests to like you know actually you know um, 
do it in a good way. So, so, so that's a key thing. But uh, another uh, really important is that we we really socialize around our metadata model a lot uh, with experts uh, of AI ethics and AI governance. So, so that's really important. Working with researchers uh, on this area always sort of if 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 I um, if I need to work on some area um, or like you know, some domain of applications where we want to start using this system. So I'm, I really make sure that we know people who are deep experts in this area, for example, privacy, or or if we start to work in the people analytics space, we, we make sure that we know people who are, uh, who are really experts in people analytics related ethics, and then ask for their feedback. So, so it's a process of, of uh, um, you know, um, obviously relying on those uh, those really influential researches and, and policy papers and so forth standards that gives the the ground. But then it's then it's about uh, integrating uh, the opinions of experts and what we learn by doing doing it in practice. So hmm. so yeah, so far it has uh, has worked pretty well and 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 typically um when a new expert looks into what is there uh, they typically find everything that they or almost everything that they are looking for when thinking of uh, okay governance and good transparency so what are the things that we need to need to be uh be considered uh, over there and if if we hear something that okay um isn't there yet uh, that someone raises up? Uh, that's always very interesting, and we want to want to explore that. Uh, while talking about this, I really want to also make sure that we look at it from this perspective that it's not the collection of all possible questions that in the world can be asked about this one. We all all the time need to also prioritize what needs to be there. So. So what we try to avoid is that we have an overwhelming large set of uh, documentation requirements or checklists that no one can basically ever fulfill, or it's overwhelming already by looking into that. So this kind of usability and uh, and um, perspective that how to keep it feasible uh, in a practical real world life that that's also very important. And for that, we, we really get good experience by actually looking into how the platform is used by our customers. Because if there is something that our customers are like, you know, feel that this is not adding very much value, uh, they don't use it. So, so that's always uh, um, a sign that we need to look into this. Well, is this really important or like, you know, is it, uh, somehow presented in a in a in a way that is not feasible uh or works not well in 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 a real life context so how much pushback have you gotten from engineers who do not want to fill out the documentation because if there's one thing that i know about engineers (laughs) in this space (laughs) is they tend to like to write scripts and be a little bit more lazy about things. Have you encountered mm-hmm. any of that where this is like raining on their parade, like we were talking mm-hmm. about before? Um, well, y- yes and no. Uh, obviously, no one likes really documentation or like uh, that. That's not on the on the top of the <laughs> top of the list. And that, by the way, is something that uh, keeps us. 
we really want to make it user friendly and and i i believe that a lot can be done by designing the system the platform in a way that it's nice to use so so that's that's a source of, of inspiration for us so also that how to make it something that um that uh, through usability, UX design, you uh, you can do something on, uh, about making uh, boring things uh, more interesting. Um, but then, then uh, another important thing, uh, which is definitely not ready, or like you know, I don't have a, like you know a clear one good best practice. But what I've noticed is that uh, sort of um, defining responsibilities within the teams, uh, who is actually who are the ones who has this responsibility over documentation and governance in the organization? That's a key question. And that our that is something that our customers are all the time exploring and trying to find sort of a um, good solution to that, that who are the ones who actually should be doing this documentation? Who are the ones who should be then consulted when we have something and we want to sort of brainstorm together a little bit uh, wider, for example, the, the uh, risk management related things and so forth. So, but the question, who are the ones who uh, will do this governance and will do the documentation? It's not, uh, there is no straightforward answer to that. And I personally believe that uh, there will be new roles in organization for, for mm. this specifically. Uh, what is my experience that those organizations who have clearly defined that, okay, they, these are the people who have the main responsibility over keeping this portfolio together from a governance perspective to uh, who are the key users of their, uh, of their AI registers. Um, they are succeeding quite nicely in this. They, it works re uh, really well because then it's clear that, okay, uh, we have that role and then we involve people, uh, invite people to work on different topics and or, on specific systems uh, based on their uh, expected contribution. So, but then uh, if you have a, if you are not clear on, on the roles and responsibilities related to these new tasks, then, then it might be messy. What are the profiles of the people that you've seen doing that job? And by the way, I love the fact that getting clear on who is the owner of this and who whose responsibility it is, I think that's so important because I can't tell you how many times I've heard someone in the MLOps community that I run talk about how they deployed a model or the data scientist pushed a model, it got deployed, but then there's no culture around who owns that model and the day two yeah. of the model once it's out there. And so, like you were talking about, like having someone that is obviously the one in charge that is going to assume all responsibility for the machine learning project or the models that they're putting out on whatever it is, then that makes things so much more clear and you have such a better way of looking at things. So... Yeah. When you're talking about this, I know it was a little bit of a tangent, but when you're talking about the different people that are coming up that are going to help the documentation process and you think there's going to be new roles that are forming, what kind of people are you seeing do well and excel in these new roles? 
I'm not sure if I have enough still like in you know, a volume uh, and experience uh, from a volume perspective, like, you know, all kinds of different uh, backgrounds. But but I think the most important is that there, these are the folks who uh, who see that this is important and they ha- have a like you know, personal mission about putting in place this uh, this responsible AI and uh, like you know related operations work uh, in their organization. So so uh, and luckily I've found always those persons uh, in their organization. So for them it's really motivating uh, to like you know think about what kind of good ways and how do we connect these things in the everyday life of uh, of our data science teams and and they really see uh, uh, see the influence of their organization uh, through technology and and are excited about the opportunity to explore those risks so I, I think it's most importantly about uh, finding those individuals who uh, want to uh, develop new kinds of get or like you know so say it also as an as a personal learning opportunity mm. to to become expert in this kind of a new area and uh, and take that role in 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 finding good ways of operationalizing it in uh, in your own, own organization. But uh, I really want to sort of echo that what you what you said regarding the the importance of those uh, owners uh, or, or role accountabilities. Uh, uh, in individual AI project, uh, that was actually probably the first, uh, maybe after sort of purpose-related uh, description. But but thinking about our metadata model, the accountability section where we define the the service owner, the technical owner. Uh, in some industries, there are some specific uh, roles, uh, like for example, in media industry, you uh, you typically need to have the journalistic owner also besides of these uh, these uh, other roles and so forth so so the idea that okay we need to find those people we need to assign this responsibility ownership of mm-hmm. this individual project that that was one of the one of the really key things that we wanted to um use our platform to to support uh the establishment of that idea and that has worked uh quite nicely typically people do what they what they are assigned to do and what their role uh roles are expected so so a small thing uh, that can actually have a major influence in uh in uh governance yeah it's so important and anyone who's ever worked with data scientists will know how important it is. And mm-hmm. if you've worked on data yeah. products in general, I think yeah. because it is such a new field, it's not so clear. And there aren't the common steps that have been done millions of times by every other company. And you don't get engineers who have done it one way at a past job and it really worked well. So they bring in this new culture. And this is a lot of the idea around the cultural changes that need to be made when you're putting data products into production. And hmm. so I'm wondering also about the different demand you've seen or the different uptick or uptake <laughs> you've seen when there are varying sectors involved. Like with, I, I think that I read you have a background in finance and i feel like finance mm-hmm. is very much on the forefront of machine learning 
right now. And I'm wondering, and I also know they have, they're highly regulated. So do you find that finance is more inclined to do something like this rather than healthcare or in other sectors, autonomous driving, for example? Yeah, I I, totally, uh, I I think, uh, it it creates like basically that that's about the corporate culture that has been built over the years based on the industry where you are, uh, whether you are in a regulated industry or, or, um, or a a totally non-regulated industry that, uh, absolutely changes the, the way how, how the uh, company, uh, operates. I think in the financial sector, there are so many established uh, existing ways of working that are very close to what we are uh, bringing here to other industries as well. I think more, many uh, financial services uh, organizations already have uh, some kind of registers of their models, uh, at least in, in, uh, in the sort of regulated area. So, so in these kind of industries, it's, uh, it's relatively straightforward to then just like, you know, explain expand those ways of workings into the area that areas that haven't haven't necessarily been been under that um regulation driven um uh operations or ways of workings but really then uh it's a totally different question in industries where you don't have any of those existing mechanism uh it might be that risk management is a totally new concept or idea. Something might have been introduced as part of privacy, uh, uh, GDPR uh, related work or privacy regulation related work. But uh, in many organizations, still, even that uh, deployment of those uh, intentions are ongoing uh, as we speak. So. So yeah, the, it it depends a lot on the industry and the and the organizational cultures related to these themes, uh, how easy or how difficult it is to uh, is to establish these ways of workings. So I know we're wrapping up now, and I have got just a one more question for you. Hopefully, you don't have. Do you have a hard stop right now? I uh, know. Okay. No. So we have a few more minutes. If you are kind enough, I'll keep you five minutes over. And we can talk about this really cool website that you've done, or you've helped different cities do. Hmm. And I thought this was fascinating because when I saw it, it was one of those moments that it was like a eureka moment. Like, why doesn't every city have this? Why doesn't every government institution have this. And so maybe you can talk us through what exactly you did and what I'm talking about, what I'm insinuating at. (laughs) Maybe we should do a campaign so that people could send these messages for their city governments that, okay, can we have this AI register as well? Oh, it's so cool. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, Amsterdam and Helsinki, we're really proud of uh, having the opportunity to to work with this um, leading uh, cities who sort of uh, raise the bar in AI transparency on, on a different level. So, so uh, yeah, the sites are um, open public websites. Uh, they are called AI or algorithm registers. Uh, the concept is really simple. Uh, people um, who are interested about where AI 
algorithms are used in uh, by the city government, city um, organization, or any government organization who uh, deploys this kind of AR register has that one place uh, where uh, where there is basically a catalog of those systems that are uh, currently in use or then in development. And and what is visible there is uh, information related to uh, what is what is starting from the name of the system, what is the purpose, uh, the targets of the system, how does it work on a, uh, and how, how is it used. And then you have coming from that metadata model that we have discussed over here uh, that gives the structure or, like for all the technical information uh, and governance information, you have a possibility to dive a little bit deeper into uh, what data has been uh, has been used in this system, what is the uh, model architecture, uh, uh, what are the risks related to it, and so forth. So following the same structure of information, uh, you get uh, get visibility uh, documentation around uh, uh, around how the system works and and how it has been governed. Uh, so so. The website is uh, in the website. We have brought the information that uh, via testing process with the citizens or like users of this information, we have found meaningful uh, for different audiences. There, uh, all the information is coming from the AI register uh, on on the platform that we are running, uh, where our customers are then basically developing and maintaining uh, all that technical documentation that they are internally using for uh, for that governance. So, so uh, via APIs, the information is brought then uh, to to wider public uh, uh, to that extent that is relevant for, for wide public. So uh, the information can be uh, more comprehensive on the back end, uh, for example, all the data is related to these accountabilities, the different roles is not something that is brought uh, in the in, to the public website uh, at all the the depth that 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 is needed for the uh, for the internal uses. But anyways, the the idea is is now now that um, information that is relevant for uh, for the citizens. Uh, uh, for journalists, for civil society activists, or whoever is interested about how AI is used uh, over there, is provided there. And uh, one more addition, it's not meant to be only one directional sort of broadcasting mm. information. It's also a channel for future uh, sort of stakeholder engagement. So at the moment, if you go to algorithmeregister.amsterdam.nl, uh, you also can provide feedback for any of those systems that you find from there. You can uh, give um, press those buttons to to indicate us whether the information has been useful for, and and then uh, provide free text feedback. So I really hope that in future these public registers will be used also uh, in getting much wider diverse feedback on uh, even idea level concepts on how we are planning to use AI in the mm. in the city and and really start that conversation with the people uh, impacted well this is such a great manifestation of a transparent system in my mind when I saw this it was very clear the upside that this is going to have because like you were talking about this is 
in effect, this is trustworthy AI because we are able to see what is being used, how it's being used. If we want to dig in deeper and get really technical, it's there. Nothing is hidden behind a curtain. And I really love that because you're able to go as deep as you are capable of. And so I really think that is just an incredible initiative. And I thank you for doing that. Hopefully, like you said, all of the different cities and towns or whatever, whoever is deploying AI in the government can come out and say, this is how we're using it. Because I think that will foster a much more open way of doing AI. And like you said, this is, this is trustworthiness in action right here. This really fosters that kind of trust. And I think that is so important as we're moving forward. Last question for you, Mary, are you a robot? Uh, oh my god <laughs> what is this question uh no <laughs> i hope not <laughs> sometimes when i work really late i i i almost feel like a robot but uh but yeah uh, i guess not all right well thank you for coming on here and thank you for doing the incredible work that you're doing I really had a pleasure talking with you. It's been incredible to hear about all of the different ways that you're looking at this and how you're implementing them. So thanks again. We'll see you next time. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me.